Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you. It was wonderful last week. We had uh, Hank Kleinschmidt, a missionary from, well, actually lives in South Africa, an evangelist from South Africa, come and share God's word with us and start off the new year. And it was just so cool because we have this word of the year empowered, and we didn't exactly tell Hank that. We just kind of let him go with the Holy Spirit and really was just a beautiful introduction to this series and where we felt like God wanted to go with us as Hank was sharing with us about stepping into the more of God. That, that Jesus tells his disciples, greater things will happen through you and you follow me and you trust me through the coming of the Holy Spirit in your life. Greater things. And so he was inviting us to, to step into the more of God and just kind of this beautiful introduction of where we're going to be going. He, he also made this statement saying that the revelation, your revelation of God will fuel how you live. What you think, kind of the picture or the image that you have of who God is, fuels how you live out your life. If you think God is angry, you live in fear. If you think God is all benevolent, you don't always worry about what you're doing. There's this kind of idea that what we think of who God is fuels how we live, and that's going to come into play throughout this series. Again, our, our word for this year is the word empowered. Who remembers the word of the year from 2023? PK, Abby, and Emily. Three people remember it. So this works out really well. The word from last year was the word relationships. And we talked about this, this passage that Paul teaches where he says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And we wanted to encourage you to be people who are sharing the gospel of Jesus, but your life with others and building relationships. And this year, we want to focus on this word empowered. Kind of comes a little bit out of the Acts 1-8 idea, right? That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. We celebrate in Christmas that Jesus is our Emmanuel. And we marvel at this baby that, that the Word could become flesh and make His dwelling among us. That God Himself would become a human being. But the ascended Jesus is no less God with us today. He's no less God with us today. But again, the Bible teaches he is with us more so today than when he bodily walked with the disciples. The very presence of God fills the hearts of those who have trusted Jesus for salvation. And the enemy of God's people, he will try to hold you down try to keep you back with accusations and a negative self-image, but Jesus wants you to see yourself as you truly are in light of his work in your life. In a word, you are empowered. If you have a Bible with you this morning, maybe a paper Bible or it might be a digital Bible, maybe you need to borrow one from the chair in front of you, but I'd invite you to get out God's holy word to you this morning. And then if you would, lift it up nice and high and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. That is a beautiful sight this morning. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to kind of focus there. We're going to move around a little bit in, in the Bible, but, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is really going to be kind of our, our focal point this morning. But have you ever seen something great in somebody that maybe they couldn't see for themselves? 
Like you watched them and you saw something and you're like, wow, that is so cool. But they seem to have an inability to see it. Like maybe it was your mom or your grandmother and everybody would go over to their house and she would prepare these beautiful meals and have all these wonderful desserts and people would take a bite or they would see it laid out and they would just rave and they'd be like, you are such a good cook. This is amazing. Grandma, you could open a restaurant with these pies. And then she's always in the background kind of going, oh man, I left that in a little bit too long or I didn't add the right seasoning there or that had a little too much salt or not quite enough salt. And you're like, no, it was amazing. Or maybe, maybe you know this child, you've watched this child grow up, maybe in your family or just one that you've watched and you looked at this kid and you're like, they have so much potential. They just seem to be like wired with charisma and other people just kind of gather around them. But this kind of natural born leadership that they had made them want to be liked. And so even though they were a natural born leader, they started kind of gravitating towards others and saying, what are they doing? And even though they had the ability to influence others, they were allowing themselves to be influenced by others. And you're like, but you have so much potential in how you're wired. Or maybe you have a friend or you've known somebody who is like a gifted artist or a really good athlete and you watch their life and you're like, man, they have so much potential. They, they could actually do something with this in their life if they really apply themselves and work at it. But, but they had this home life that was just horrible and it kept them back from being able to step into everything that you just knew that they were capable of. I think it's frustrating for us when we see somebody's potential seemingly go unrecognized or unnoticed. We look at them and we're like, man, they, they have so much ability to be something great, and yet something seems to be keeping them from recognizing or realizing that. came across a story this week of a, a man who believed his dog had some special abilities, and so he brought his dog to a talent agent. And he said to the talent agent, my dog can actually talk. This is amazing. And the talent agent kind of looked at him skeptically and he goes, well, prove it. So the guy says to his dog, how does sandpaper feel? Ruff, ruff. <laughs> What's on top of a house? Roof, roof. Who was the greatest Yankee ever to play baseball? Ruth, Ruth. And the talent agent is annoyed. He's had enough. Get out of here. I don't have time for this. And so they're walking home, and the dog kind of turns to his owner a little bit puzzled and says, I don't get it. Was it DiMaggio? <laughs> maybe, maybe telling jokes isn't one of my untapped potentials. But I think we have all had that experience of just watching somebody who we knew had some great potential and just came up short of living into it. And as much as we feel let down when we see it in others, I think it's something we're often tempted to do in our own lives. And not just with our physical talents and our skills and abilities, but it's, it's something we do in our spiritual journey. We sell our spiritual lives short of the potential that exists because of the design of God our Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of you probably mentally check out as soon as you hear that we're going to do a series on Empowered. That already seems like something that you're beginning to kind of push back against. Because for you, you have a really hard time looking in a mirror and seeing the reflection come back and thinking anything that sounds like it would be at all synonymous with the word good spoken over the person you see reflected back. 
In fact, let's try an exercise right now, if you will. If you have a, a cell phone or a digital device, I want to invite you to get out your cell phone for a moment and, and flip it over to that camera app, and then I want you to turn on selfie mode, all right? So give you a second, get out your, get out your phone, get out your camera app, and turn on that selfie mode. And you can take a selfie if you want. Here's, here's me with all of you this morning. All right, so... We, but I wonder when you look at that image and you really look at the person who's looking back at you, what words come to mind? Maybe, you're, maybe you, some of you might think great. I think some of you might say it sarcastically because you don't want to deal with the words that really come to mind. Because some of the words that really come to mind are words like ugly or stupid or failure, or not good enough, or PJ's stupid, and this exercise is stupid, and I'm not looking at that stupid reflection. <laughs> and you know what happens in that moment? Is you just fought a spiritual battle. And the sad thing is, for many of you, even as followers of Jesus, you just fought a spiritual battle, and you lost. God has an enemy. We often refer to him as Satan or the devil. And scripture tells us this about him. In, in John 8, 44, it says there's no truth in the devil. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation 12, 10 says he is the accuser of the brethren. Satan levies an accusation against who you are, who you see yourself as what you immediately define as you. Ugly, weak, failure, old, disappointment to my family, accusations. See, Satan can be awfully deceptive in our lives. He can be sneaky, he prowls around, he hides in the shadows to tempt us with things that sometimes we would never see ourselves doing. But at this core issue in our lives, he doesn't even have to hide. The accusations are at the forefront of our mind. And for many of you, they have gained a stronghold over your soul because you've agreed with the accusation. The accusation has come against you of who you are and what defines you. And at some point, you have agreed with the accusation. Maybe it came from the first time you were riding the bus to school and there was that really mean bully and they said something about you. Or maybe it came from a parent and they were in a moment of just frustration and anger and they weren't thinking clearly and they said something out loud. Or maybe it was just a series of time and again you saw something or heard something. But somewhere along the line, the accusation became something that you agreed with. And you believed, yeah, there's a part of that that is true of me. There's a part of that that does define who I am. One of the scariest things about Satan's voice, I heard a, a girl talking, I had a part to watch part of a series on uh, teenagers dealing with depression and anxiety and wrestling with thoughts of suicide. And this teenage girl said something that I thought was really profound. She said, you know, I always had this kind of mental image of, of Satan as like this red, demonic, scary imp, and he kind of sounds like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And really the scary part about Satan's voice is it sounds like my own. 
the lies that I'm speaking over my own life come from my own voice. And see, the worst part about these things is there's that tiny shred of something that we can grab a hold of that sounds like it's true. Just like in the Garden of Eden, the fruit was good and pleasing to the eye. There was something about it that makes us want to grab a hold of it. But at the core of what Satan is telling us, the accusations that he levies against your life is that it's a lie. It's just not true. We can look at God's word, which is truth, and we can know that the accusations the enemy is levying simply aren't true. You feel like you're ugly? Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's masterpiece. Psalm 139.14 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You identify as stupid, and yet 2 Corinthians 10.5 says you can take captive your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. You feel like you have no value in this earth, but 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you were bought at the price of God's physical embodiment that hung on a cross to redeem you. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want so desperately for you to start winning this significant spiritual battle and seeing yourself as Jesus does. I don't want you to live one more day as a defeated, weak, emaciated Christian believing the lies and the accusations about the devil of who you are. I want you to know Jesus and his power and presence in your life that you would step into it and that you would live empowered. Some of you are thinking, who? Me? Yes, you! By the authority of Jesus' shed blood, I want to break the chains of accusation in your life. I want to speak God's truth over who you are. So we're going to look at some of these accusations throughout this series that I think the devil uses in your life to hold you back from everything that God wants you to step into. Some of the lies that you have agreed with that are keeping you from experiencing the kingdom-building power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And we don't have time to cover all of them in one week. So today we're just going to cover one. And today's is a big one. It's a really challenging one. In fact, for some of you, when I tell you what it is, you're going to push back against it and you're not going to agree with me. And that's okay. I'd rather have you walking out saying, I disagree with Pastor John, but I'm going to wrestle with God and with the Holy Spirit and with Scripture and I'm going to see what God has to say to this thing and what He's going to speak in my life. But I think that this is something that maybe if we look at it biblically, we can just kind of talk about and begin to unpack because I think it's this lie that many of us latch onto that keeps us from feeling the power and presence of God in our lives. It's a big one for so many people who call themselves Christians. And the lie, the accusation that so many of us buy into wholeheartedly is this one. I'm a sinner. In fact, so many of us who are Christians have erroneously been taught to offer this up as the identity of who we are. To say, I'm a sinner. And sometimes we add on a little tagline, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. I'm just a sinner, Jesus died for me. And we offer this up to kind of say to the world, I'm no different than you. I'm the same as you are. I have all of the same struggles and I go through all of the same things. Now, like any good lie, there's that tiny 
shred of something that we latch onto of truth in it. See, Jesus doesn't want you to be arrogant. He doesn't want you to have a holier-than-thou attitude and wants you to be honest about your life. The shred of truth is to say is that if we say or we act like we're perfectly flawless, we're arrogant, we're a liar, and it's sin in and of itself, right? First John 1.18 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In Romans 12, Paul says, Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Think of yourselves with sober judgment. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Don't think that you are holier than thou against the rest of the world. Jesus, he has this woman who is caught in adultery right in the middle of the act, and she's drugged before him. The crowd wants to stone her. And Jesus, the only guy there who has never sinned in his life, says, Let any of you in the crowd who is without sin be the first one to cast a stone at her. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge or you too will be judged. There's a certain measure that we would acknowledge that in my life, I'm, I'm not flawless. My identity is not, it is not what Jesus is in his perfection, his holiness, his flawlessness. But nor should my identity as a follower of Jesus be sinner. Paul teaches it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Starting at verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He wasn't counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled yourself to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Satan is the accuser. And he wants to accuse you of your sin. And all throughout your life, he will use opportunities and moments to drum up the distant past. And say, you remember that one time when that thing happened and it was so dark and it was so evil? That's you. And he will use those moments in the present when you continue to give in or to fail or to make the mistake or to blow it and to say, <laughs> I told you, that's you. You're broken. You're a failure. You're a sinner. You don't get it right. And this is such a smart tactic from a brilliant battle warrior. God is holy. God is perfection, he is flawlessness, he is righteousness. And the holiness of God cannot dwell in perfect connection with impurity. If holiness and impurity come in contact, one of two things is going to happen. One of two things happens when holiness and impurity are combined with one another. The first thing that could happen in theory is that holiness takes on impurity and becomes tainted by the impurity that it is connected with. 
If you think about it like this, if I have a glass of completely pure water and a glass of water that is contaminated and has dirt in it, and I pour them together in one bowl, you can no longer separate them back out. The purity has taken on the impurity. The holiness has taken on the impurity. The first thing that happens is that holiness takes on impurity. The second thing that happens is that which is impure dies. If you read scripture, God is described in Hebrews 12, 29 as a consuming fire. God's holiness burns away. It destroys impurity. This is why when we rewind to the Garden of Eden and we read the Garden story, we get to Genesis 3 and we see Adam and Eve expelled from the Garden. We think of this sometimes as God's punishment. This is God's grace. If you remain connected in my holiness as an impure human being, you will die. Holiness and impurity cannot dwell together. And God is saying, I love you. I want to redeem you. I want to fix this thing. But you cannot remain eating from the tree of life in my presence or my holiness, the consuming fire of my goodness, will absolutely destroy you. Satan's tactic is to make you identify yourself as a sinner because sin separates you. From who God is. Jesus says this to his disciples, talking to them about what he wants for them to be. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to have this connection to me as my disciples. I want you to abide in my presence. I want you to be super close to me and so connected with me that as I am connected with the Father and as the the very power of God flows through me as the vine, then it flows into you who are the branches and you bear the fruit of my kingdom. You think of it a little bit like a lamp, right? You take a lamp and you plug it into the wall. The power can flow through it and it can bear the fruit. It can do what it was designed to do. It can shine light. But if you unplug it from the outlet, it can't do anything. If your life is connected to Jesus, the very power of God flows through your life. But if you are disconnected from Jesus, he says you can't do anything. Jesus also says this, a chapter before that, he tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is only the work of Jesus and by the work of Jesus that we actually get the opportunity to connect with God our Father, the creator of everything. Yahweh Elohim, the word that was hovering over the spirit, that was hovering over the waters, who spoke everything into being. I don't know about you, But when I read Genesis chapter 1, I want to be there. When I read about the garden and the tree of life, when I see God's presence, I want that. I think for many of us, we see goodness in our world Like the fingerprints of God exist all over creation. You can see it in a friend, somebody who loves you. You can see it when you see a beautiful sunset. Christy and I love watching people watching sunset because they're just drawn to something of the fingerprint of God in that moment. Everybody's looking and watching. You can see the goodness of God and you can feel these little snippets of it. But the problem is, we are really disconnected from it. And life is about an invitation back to this God 
whose fingerprints are all over creation. And Jesus says there's only one way. You can't earn your way back to the garden. You can't experience the fullness of God's presence flowing into your life except for one way. Oh, you can see glimmers of it. You can desire it. You can hope for it because I made you that way. But you can't really experience it apart from me. And so Satan's ploy in the Garden of Eden is to enter sin into the world. Because when sin enters the hearts of human beings who are created in God's image, who are created perfect, who are created holy and pure, when sin enters the picture, we are separated from God in that moment. And Satan will accuse you and he will remind you of your separation from God and he will use your actions and he will use your mind. Remember what Hank told us last week? Your revelation of God fuels the way you live. You live your life according to what you believe about God and what you believe that God believes about you. If you agree with Satan's accusation that this is your identity, this is who you are as a sinner, then your life will lack the power of the Holy Spirit because even if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, the belief that you are a sinner separates you, disconnects you from the vine. Because sin doesn't connect with the holiness of God. It was the Garden of Eden when sin entered the picture that we were separated. And Jesus came to say, I don't want you to live separated. And if we live as followers of Jesus who believe that who I am, not just what I do, but who I am, the core identity of what I am is I am a sinner. And we functionally live our lives as if we're disconnected from the vine. How dare I share my faith with somebody? if they only knew what I had done. How dare I serve in my church? I still have these doubts. How dare I pray or I read my Bible? What would God think of me if he knew what I was just doing a few moments ago? And Jesus is inviting us into something more. Jesus is so cool, y'all. Some of you, you've been followers of Jesus your whole life, and I fear that you've missed what Jesus does. You've missed the really, really good news of the gospel. What happens when holiness dwells with sin? What is holy takes on what is impure, or what is impure dies. And so here's what God does. He sends Jesus his one and only son, a man born of a virgin. He was a fully human, but he was born of a virgin, so he didn't inherit the sin nature that was passed down from father to son to child throughout all of history. And Jesus was born completely holy. He was the fullness of divinity wrapped in flesh. The word that spoke over all of creation became flesh and dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel. He was holy, and he came to dwell with that which is impure. The holiness of God came to earth 
And we read it in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The holiness of God became a human being specifically so that he could take on the impurity of sin. And then what happened to it? It went to the cross. That which is impure dies. See, Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. This is a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. People who are religious, they can't wrap their minds around this. People who, who are irreligious, they can't figure out why would God die? That doesn't make any rational sense that God would die. Why do you worship him? But this is exactly why. Because our God is so good that he outwitted the enemy right at the very spot where the enemy thought that he had won. The holiness of God dwelt among us, bore our impurity in order that sin might be crucified with him. It was prophesied hundreds of years before it. Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was on him. By his wounds... We are healed. Back to Paul's words and to the Corinthian church. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I have been crucified with Christ, he would tell the Galatian church. I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. Sin itself has been put onto Jesus. It has been crucified with him so that you are not what you were. If anyone trusts in Christ, if they follow him as the only way to know God, if their faith is in him, then their sin has been crucified with him. They are not what they were. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The belief that you are a sinner is a lie from the accuser. It is a tactic meant to separate you from God or to cause you to functionally live your life as an impotent believer who has been disconnected from the vine. Because if you believe that this is who you are, you will never step into the power of what God has for you, what he wants for you to experience, how he wants the very Holy Spirit of God in you. Would that you would look in the mirror, pull out selfie mode on the phone, and think the Holy Spirit dwells there. God's presence is in that beautiful creation made in his image, empowered by him. Don't be an arrogant jerk. Don't think of yourself as better than others. In humility, consider others better than yourself. You haven't always lived perfectly, and even today, you're not flawless. So don't think of yourself that way. But in Christ, sinner is not who you are. God made Jesus to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God, a new creation, 
as you were reconciled to God, he wanted to give you the ministry of reconciliation so that you who had been redeemed by what Jesus had done could share with others the hope that Jesus wanted to connect with them, that this God of creation wanted to be involved in their life, that even though they had sin that separated them from God, Jesus bore their sin on the cross and that they too could be made new. You're ambassadors of the God's goodness, of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, of how the God of creation is not just out there, he's not just beautiful in all of that, Satan's lie is that you are a sinner. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, it doesn't work. Without Jesus, unfortunately, sin does identify our lives. But in Christ, you are no longer just a sinner. But the truth is, I'm redeemed and empowered by Christ. I've been bought with the blood of the Son of God. So I am not what I was, but I have been purchased at the most costly of all prices. So I don't identify as separated from God by my sin, but I allow His Holy Spirit to begin working in me. I see myself as somebody who is redeemed. I see myself as somebody that Christ has died for, that the Holy Spirit moves in. And so I can step in faith as an ambassador of Christ into his kingdom. I can do my life empowered by the presence of God, not because I earned it, not because I merited it, not because I'm better than everybody else, but because Jesus died for me and I accepted his death as, as the penalty for my sin and his Holy Spirit lives within me and I can step into that. Church, hell better watch out if Christians actually get this. If followers of Jesus actually understood who they are as redeemed and empowered by the presence of Jesus, Satan, watch out. We're coming for your kingdom and there's ambassadors who are heading out to share the good news that the God of creation is redeeming his people through Jesus Christ. That we are connecting back with God. That what you thought you were going to do, pulling people away from sin, that is broken. What you think you're doing and saying, you're only ever a sinner. You're not good enough. God will never work through you. You can never do it. It is a lie from Satan. I am redeemed by Jesus. I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit and I'm coming for you, Satan. I'm going to step into everything that God has. Not because I'm good, not because I'm powerful, not because I'm strong, but because I know who owns this life. My identity is not what I've done. My identity isn't even what I do now. My identity is in Jesus because he's the one who made me. It's his image I'm created in. He's the one who died for me and redeemed me. So I'm stepping into that. Satan's lie is that I'm just a sinner. But God's truth is that I am redeemed and I am empowered by Jesus. May you see yourself as someone who Jesus has redeemed. And may you live empowered and bear much fruit for his kingdom. Let me pray for you this morning. Oh God, we sang about you all morning. The Lord Almighty the greatness of our God, the King of kings, the God who considers us a friend. 
we have a very real enemy. He is lying to me all the time. He is lying to your people all of the time. He is levying accusations against us and things that we often latch onto and we agree with and they keep us from all that you have. But I pray in the powerful name of Jesus through the authority of the shed blood of Jesus that you would break the chains of these accusations and lies in the lives of your people this morning, Jesus. Help us to see ourselves not the way that the enemy accuses us, not even the things that we've agreed to, not even when his, his voice sounds like my mother's or my father's or my friend who was so close to me or when it even sounds like my very own voice. me to hear one voice breaking through all of the noise all of the accusation and all of the lies help me to hear the tender voice of Jesus my Savior who says I was the holiness of God I took on your impurity and I was burned away through all of the torment and the horror of the cross your sin was dealt with and paid for in full. And I rose victorious because I am alive and my desire is to connect with you, to redeem and purchase you, to empower you with the Holy Spirit so that you can step into the more of God, that you will begin to see God himself and yourself for who he is and who he has created you to be as his ambassadors growing his kingdom. Help us to see the truth and to live as redeemed people empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Jesus because of the design of God our Creator. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to uh, remind you, you have the opportunity again to worship through tithes and offerings as you exit or online at oakridgewc.com give. Remind you that tonight we have the, the game night. We'd love to have you uh, come out and just fellowship and build some relationships. Last word, last year's word, uh, continue to build some relationships together. But we hope that you have a great week. Go with God and God bless.